habeas corpus. A writ requiring a person under arrest to be brought before a judge or into court, especially to secure the person's release, unless lawful grounds are shown for their detention. A story I will share with you this Tuesday. Petitioner has been convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. His appeal and habeas petition are now pending before the court. Aside from a juror misconduct claim, the petition is based largely on new evidence going directly to the question of innocence. This new evidence was never presented to the jury. This is quoted directly from the DA in response to the habeas corpus filed. This is the story of Scott Peterson and the murder of Lacey and Connor Peterson. Tuesdays with Trisha, episode 19. Please take care and caution while listening to this episode. Welcome to Modesto, California for this week's episode. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome to the coolest place on earth. And if you are a repeat basic bitch, this applies to all genders, my heart is with you and welcome back. Modesto has been honored as Tree City USA. It is surrounded by rich farmland. Stanislaus County ranks sixth among California counties in farm production. Led by milk, almonds, chicken, walnuts, and corn, the county grossed nearly $3.1 billion in agriculture production in 2011. The farm-to-table movement plays a central role in Modesta living. Filmmaker George Lucas, who was born in Modesto, graduated from Thomas Downey High School in 1962 and attended Modesto Junior College, and immortalized this city in his award-winning 1973 film, American Graffiti. Today, I'm here to talk to you guys all about Scott Peterson. Okay, so if you don't know who the heck I am talking about, let me give you a quick background story on the case. I want to make this very clear. This is not an episode on me covering the murder of Lacey Peterson and all the details that happened with that. This is just going to be a brief overview of what happened so that way you can kind of like speed yourself up. Because today I'm going to focus on the current appeal process and the decision that recently unfolded in basically last week's news. I'm also going to give you key points from the appeal that, to me, point to Scott's innocence. Again, that is my opinion, not written anywhere else. So I suggest that if you guys all want like the nitty-gritty details um, on this case, before you like start what I'm about to talk about, then I suggest you go check out one of my favorite podcasts, which is way huger than I am, which is Crime Junkies. 
Um, they have a two-parter episode on this case, which I believe is episode two and three. Uh, so it goes back to the very beginning for them. But you will find everything you need to know about like that case in general, which it's the same case. But I'm just not going to go into all the details that most people like. So I just want to pre-warn people before they start this episode. Um, so if you are okay with it and you remember this case and you want to move on with me, then stick around because here is a quick recap for you. So with that said, I want to continue with a brief overview. On December 24th, 2002, eight-month pregnant Lacey Peterson went missing from her Modesto home in California. It hit the headlines like wildfire, you guys. And not long into the case, investigators had their eye on husband Scott Peterson, who claimed he went fishing the day his pregnant wife was missing. It was exposed that Scott was actually having an extramarital affair with a woman named Amber Fry, who ended up coming forward once she found out that like her so-called boyfriend was involved in a missing persons case. So not a good look. Eventually, on April 13th, 2003, the bodies of Lacey and Connor, which was the baby inside her body, washed ashore in the San Francisco Bay Area. Scott was ultimately convicted of first-degree mur murder for Lacey and second-degree murder for Connor. He was given the death penalty on November 12th, 2004. The judge that actually sentenced Scott called him cruel, uncaring, heartless, and callous. Scott has maintained his innocence from day one, and he has now been on death row for 16 years. In March of 2019, Governor Gavin Newsom issued a memorandum for all 737 prisoners on death row in California. That also included Scott Peterson. It is said that no one will be put to death while Newsom is in office. But this brings us now to today. Because, well, not exactly today, but on August 24th, 2002, in a 7-0 decision, the Supreme Court of California upheld Scott Peterson's conviction, but they overturned his death sentence because they, they feel that Peterson's trial judge, Albert DeLucci, who had died on February 26, 2008, had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside. Now, upon reporting, Justice Leandra Kruger explained that per U.S. Supreme Court rulings, since 1968, jurors may not be excused merely for opposition to the death penalty, but only for views rendering them, them unable to fairly consider imposing that penalty in accordance with their oath. 
This is the meaning of a guarantee of an impartial jury. So exactly what I read right now was actually taken from like the update on Wikipedia, which is just letting you guys know that, yes, a lot of people are going to say, okay, Scott Peterson got off on a technicality. Yes, technicality it may be, but if this man's life is innocent, then the technicality it shall be, don't you think? You know, I. so a lot of people have asked me, Hey, Trish, do you think Scott Peterson is innocent or guilty? I will be the first person to tell you that in 2002, I was an 18-year-old girl. I had just graduated high school, and when I heard about this case, I was furious. I was like, he did it. There is no way. This guy, they set it all up. You know, if you guys remember, you know, it looked like he was escaping to Mexico, which we may possibly talk about later if I remember to. But anyways, so this is just like, I it was guilty, 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 guilty. You know, it was chop off his head, basically. You know, and I remember everybody else feeling the same exact way. And it wasn't really until around, I think, like 2016 where I really started to, I always read the updates in the articles. I knew that he was going for an appeal, but honestly, I was like, <laughs> this guy's never going to get this shit. Okay. He's never going to get an appeal, whatever. He fucking did it. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I just kept reading. There kept being updates and there kept being other stuff and then it just other family members of his started to show in support. There were numerous documentaries going on and honestly, kind of like flags went up in my head, but flags didn't really go up in my head until I really got my hands on an appeal that I knew an attorney, the, the attorneys were working on. And at this point, I think back then I either just didn't know how to Google or how to like figure out how to find this stuff. But today I found it. And I, again, I think I'm going to say that I don't know if Scott Peterson is innocent, but I definitely don't think that he deserves to be put to death. I really do believe that he deserves a fair, a fair trial. And it looks like the California Supreme Court agreed. You know, they did obviously did still uh, like upheld the conviction. So what does that mean for now? I guess it means we have to wait to see if the prosecutors are going to go for the death penalty again because they do have that option. But I want to point out the things that really kind of turned my head and which for me really turned to Scott's innocence or, you know, maybe just <laughs> he didn't do it. I've always said that Scott Peterson is either the most guiltiest man in the entire world and he has fooled a lot of us, including myself. And I will be that person that will come out and be like, yep, I was wrong, you guys. Like, you all have it right here, right now. <laughs> like, you can hold me to it. 
So he is either that or I feel like he is one of the most unluckiest men in the entire world. You know, when men cheat, I don't think they expect all of what happened to unfold. And so here we go. I'm going to call these points today that I have, I'm going to call them dings, if you guys are okay with that. Okay, so ding number one would be, you guys, truly the reason why Scott's sentence was recently overturned was due to the plain and simple fact that they basically blamed it on a bad jury call, okay? So some people may refer to this as a technicality, like I said before. Uh, You aren't wrong. And I know it sucks, and in a lot of cases, especially a murder case, it's a hard pill pill to swallow for a lot of people because people are like, no, dude, this guy's a murderer, man. You know, and I 100% understand how you feel. But this isn't about feelings. It's about the law. Okay? So love it or hate it, this is what our justice, justice system has. And... Like, remember, if it was you, you would probably want a fair trial, too. So just think that probably a lot of these guys that are or could be innocent, you know, are praying for these technicalities. So explained like above, the trial judge made an error on excusing jury candidates due to the opposition of death penalty meaning that's a no-no. You know, you can't do that. You have, they can oppose the death penalty or be against it, but they have to be willing to be able to put that aside to be able to make a fair judgment if the death penalty was put into the case. And that wasn't the type of question that was asked. So there, it's a ding. There's also another like specific ding about a juror that I want to talk about, which is the juror Rochelle Nice, the one that that all the jurors were asked the same question. And this was, have you ever been a part of a trial as a witness, a petitioner, or a defense member? And all jurors on the Peterson trial or the panel should have answered no. This is what the lawyers were looking for. And supposedly, all of them did. But it is alleged or said that in 2000, juror number seven, Rochelle Nice, was actually involved in a domestic violence case against her boyfriend. And it just so happens that Rochelle Nice happened to be four months pregnant at the time. So she had also made statements and they are written in court documents. And these statements said stuff like she had feared for her life of her unborn child and was afraid that her boyfriend at the time was going to possibly do something. So really, if you think about it, she lied about that question and she should have been dismissed from the jury panel but yet she made it on there. Again, a lot of you are probably like, okay, Trisha, another fucking technicality. I get it. 
But again, I'm going to remind you, this is the law. And this is, like, people can't do it. You would want it to be fair, too. So let me also mention, too, that not only did Rochelle Neese, you know, serve on the Peterson jury, but after the case was done, she appeared on CNN, Larry King, Fox News, and Good Morning America. Did I also mention that she wrote a book? So, I mean, she capitalized on this shit. I, again, to each their own, but it does raise a question later on in a murder trial, you know, where somebody's put to death is, did she lie on purpose to get on the jury panel? And if she did, for what reason? So... I don't know. At this point, we really know that the main thing is, is that it applies like in court. Um, The other thing that I also read that, again, doesn't apply in court is that the the sequestering of the jury. I mean, think about it, guys. Like, there was... A whole bunch of people all over the world that knew what was going on in the case and Scott Peterson's trial was moved to the next county over not like down to Southern California or like rural 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 I don't even know if we have a rural California California sure we do but yeah it wasn't given that it was moved to the next county over and so and the jury wasn't sequestered meaning that they the jury got to go home every night and they got to talk with their friends and their family and if you think about it it's pretty crazy uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with jody arias but she was the crazy girl that killed her boyfriend she stabbed him a whole bunch of times and took pictures and yada 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 and she had asked for a sequestered jury and she was denied too Uh, Scott Peterson also too. OJ, yes. So it's just kind of crazy when you think about it that, you know, your case is moved to the next county over, you know, and there's no sequestering of it. So I want you guys to also know that the state's theory was that Scott Peterson killed his wife, Lacey, on the evening of December 23rd or somewhere in the morning of December 24th, 2002, in their home at 523 Covina Avenue in Modesto, California. The state uh, asserted that Scott put Lacey in the trunk. Cell phone records show that at 10.08 on the morning of December 24th, Scott drove the truck to his warehouse at 1027 North Emerald Avenue in Modesto. Under the state's theory, Scott's attached cement anchors to Lacey's body, loaded her body into a 14-foot boat, and drove drove to his warehouse and then launched out at the Berkeley Marina, arriving at 12.54. He then put his boat in the water 
And when he was out on the bay, he pushed Lacey's body over. Now, I want everyone to know that the defense agreed with the time of Scott leaving the house at 10.08 that morning. But defense's theory was quite different. Under the defense, they thought that Lacey was alive and at home at the time that Scott had left. Scott told police that when he had left at 10.08 that morning, Lacey was mopping the floor when he left and planned to take their dog Mackenzie out for a walk. Scott drove to his warehouse, took his boat to the Berkeley Marina, and went fishing. When he returned, Lacey was gone. Under, under the defense's theory, Scott had nothing to do with Lacey's disappearance. Instead, she was alive when he left the warehouse in Marina and when was abducted at some point either during or after having walked Mackenzie. As these two thumbnail sketches show, the jury had one question to basically resolve to everybody. Was Lacey alive when Scott left for the warehouse and the Berkeley Marina? If so, then Scott was innocent. If not, then Scott was guilty. And this is what we're left with today. The jury thought Scott Peterson was guilty. Ding number two. This one's funny. Good old friendly neighbor Karen. Okay. You guys, the prosecution banked a lot on good old Karen. So much enough, it was the only neighbor that actually was on the witness and that the jury ever heard from. There were apparently multiple eyewitnesses that morning that stated that they saw Lacey walking Mackenzie the morning around the neighborhood. Records show that Scott left the house at 10.08 a.m. And at 10.18 a.m., cell phone records and store receipts provide, provided by good old friendly neighbor Karen like, and it shows basically her and corroborates her story that she saw the Peterson's dog, Mackenzie, outside the yard. And she did what any good old friendly neighbor would do. She put Mackenzie back into the yard and shut the gate. And she claims that this was at 1018 a.m. So... This debunks the, de the defense's theory that Lacey was alive and abducted, according to the prosecution. You see, the prosecution says, so this is basically a 10-minute time frame. Lacey would have had to stop mopping, change her clothes, put on jewelry, and let Mackenzie out. Like, Highly unlikely she could do this with all in 10 minutes and get abducted, you know? So basically, 
yeah, the the prosecution's like, wait a minute, defense. You're telling us that Scott left at 10.08. And by 10.18, when good old friendly neighbor Karen decided to put Mackenzie back into the yard because Mackenzie was, for some reason, outside of the yard, which nobody said that Lacey wasn't inside of the house at this time because nobody checked. Remember, Karen just put the dog in the backyard. So it's, so basically that's all the jury heard was, you know, Karen put the neighbor, uh, put the dog back into the yard at 10, at 10, 18 and nobody was around. So therefore that Lacey had to have gone missing in between that time because Scott left at 10 08. The defense agrees and the prosecution agrees, right? Well, check this shit out. Okay. They didn't hear, the jury didn't hear the testimony from not good old neighbor Karen, but good old daily mailman, Russell. Okay, so Russell delivers the mail daily to the Peterson home so much that he knows both the Petersons very well and is very acclimated to dun-dun-dun, the dog, Mackenzie. So who without failure barked at him every time he came to drop off the mail? Mackenzie. So of course, detectives interviewed Russell and it's not like they interviewed Russell a long time after it. They, they interviewed Russell, the mailman, a few days after Lacey went missing. So it was fresh in his memory at this time. And the mailman, Russell, said that he delivered mail to the Peterson home between 10.35 a.m. that morning and 10.50 a.m. And on that particular morning when Russell went by the Peterson home, Russell had noticed that the gate was open and then there was no bark from Mackenzie. So that either indicates that Mrs. Peterson wasn't there, but it also indicates as to who opened the the gate after Karen. So this, if this was heard by the jury, this pretty much would have debunked what the prosecution said when they said that Lacey was already dead. Ding, ding, ding. Number three, the Medina family. Okay. The Medina family in 2002 lived across the street from the Peterson home at 516 Covina Avenue. The prosecutor stated that Medina's had left their home on December 24th. They went to LA on December 27th. Neighbor Diane Jackson reported to two different police officers that on the morning of the 24th, she witnessed the home of the Medinas being burglarized and she could have sworn that somebody had stolen a safe. And sure enough, when the Medinas got home on December 26th, their home had been robbed and a safe had been stolen. 
Officer Hicks ended up arresting a man in, in connection with the burglary. His name was Stephen Todd. But Stephen insisted that he didn't rob the Medinas on the 24th, but he robbed them on the 26th. And Officer Hicks actually testified that statement in court. The jury did not hear from Diane Jackson, the Medinas themselves, nor Stephen Todd. So, therefore, the jury was led to believe that the burglary had happened on the 26th and therefore not related to the crime. But what's also really crazy about the day of the 26th that Stephen Todd so-called robbed the neighbors across the street from the Peterson home was that it just so happens on the 26th that there was a really huge media circus going on and the neighborhood was actually flooded with cop cars media vans it was pretty much a fucking circus so it's pretty ironic that somebody who was robbing the place across the street just so happened to be doing that. And then the neighbor, Diane Johnson, was like, oh, hey, <laughs> that was what was going on. <laughs> you know, like the whole time she's just standing there and saying, what? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, nobody would have seen you doing this. And all of a sudden, Diane Johnson's wrong. She all of a sudden just makes this event up on the 24th. It just, she just didn't, she happened to disregard everybody else that was in the yard and happened to only notice Stephen Todd. So what jurors also failed to hear was the testimony of Officer Aponte. Now, Officer Aponte was working at the California Rehabilitation Center in Norco, California, when he was actually monitoring a conversation between inmate Sean and then his brother Adam, who was on the other line. Now, these were guys that were friends with actual recently arrested burglar Stephen Todd. What a coincidence! And they actually were talking and had stated that Stephen told them that Lacey had witnessed them robbing the home. But again, the brothers did try and cover this up, you know, and they tried to be like, hey, be quiet, don't talk about this. But the state also didn't go any further with this. And they knew that if they had this, so-called theory or conversation in place that this would debunk exactly what they were saying. So you mean to tell me now that Officer Hicks's testimony tr says that Stephen Todd didn't do the burglar burglary on the 24th but the 26th? And you mean to tell me that Diane... And Russell, the mailman, and Officer Aponte, and Sean, and Adam, and just to point out, would they would all have to be wrong 
in order for Officer Hicks to be true. And I also want to point out, too, that Officer Aponte, Sean, and Adam have nothing to do with this case. So why would they lie? Oh, just thought. And I also want to note, too, that I somewhere I know that I read a while ago, like I said, I've been watching this case for a while, and it could be a little hoopla that I did hear. So don't quote me on this. But I did hear that when the burglars were arrested, and Stephen Todd in particular, that one of them had yelled, and I think there were other people involved, but I think Stephen was, like, the main of it. But one of them yelled, I had nothing to do with that pregnant woman. So it's interesting, you know, but I also go at the same thing that they obviously knew what was going on. Like I said, it was huge in the news. It blew up overnight. So, I mean, it was Christmas for crying out loud. So a lot of people were pretty shocked to hear that an eight month pregnant lady was missing on Christmas. So yeah, I also think that, but interesting that that would be the first thing that they would say or he would say. That's right. It's CBD store located on 31801 Mission Trail in Lake Elsinore, California. This is Inland Empire's only premium CBD store. You guys, seriously, they have CBD-infused water, oils, tinctures, gummies, roll-ons, bath bombs, scrubs, lotions, so much more. You have to go check it out for your one-stop CBD shop. It's CBD store in Lake Elstar, California. Ding number four. So the day Connor died, right? So this is the unborn child of Lacey and Scott. And the prosecution claimed that Connor actually died on December 23rd. They concluded this by the testimony of Dr. DeVore. Dr. DeVore said he measured Connor's femur bone and applied the formula of Dr. Giantries, and this concluded that Connor died on December 23rd. However, Afon... Upon, <laughs> upon further inspection of this testimony, it looks like Dr. DeVore was wrong. The formula works when it is correctly applied to three bones, not just one. Therefore, this was giving it a false timeline of death because the correct formula wasn't applied. So when the correct formula was applied later on, it showed that Connor actually died somewhere on January 3rd, 2003. So when 
Dr. DeBoer testified that, about this in court, no one from the defense came in expertly to, to claim that this was correct or true. It was just him. Actually, that's not true. I think there was like another doctor that did come come in, but he didn't talk about how the doctor was wrong in his formula or anything. I remember it was about like something else. So it really didn't do anything for basically like a jury's decision. You know, I would be like, wow, you know, a doctor said that he died on the 23rd and they, and, and now the prosecution speculates that she died somewhere between then. So it, it obviously has to go. But he was saying this testimony on the fact that he did the wrong formula. So for me, it's just kind of mind blowing. And, you know, it just, gosh, it just, it kind of bums you out when you think about it. And also, too, like, the prosecution did a really good job about drilling these points in. You know, they were like, Dr. DeVore said that Connor died on, you know, December 23rd. So it had to have happened. And there's no way it was wrong. But it was. And it is. Meaning that not it was, meaning that it is right now. The formula is wrong. And what people think that he died from or that the baby died from is wrong. Now, it's not to say that they lived beyond that, but it kind of obviously is. I mean, that's a huge range in dates, you think? You know, a huge range in dates that you're going to convict some husband off of killing. Oh, just me. Da da ding. A number five. Number one. I'm doing that because I am imitating a dog. A dog who tracks. <laughs> oh man, I've had way too much wine already. Anyways, okay, so ding number five. The scent dog tracker. Dog scents were used in this case to convict Scott by stating they found traces of Lacey's scent at the marina. So First of all, the tracking day actually happened four days after Lacey went missing. So the first time they put a dog out there was December 28th. And most experts would actually say that most sense like, don't stay that long. So I don't really get the point, but they went for it anyways. And the dogs that they got in particular were Trimble and Trimble's trainer named Cindy. Now, Cindy, excuse me, whoever just decided to sound the alarm. Anyways, sorry. Cindy was wearing gloves. She first handed, she, so it said that she first handled a pair of Scott's slippers. 
And then without changing her gloves, she picked up the scent of Lacey's sunglasses. And this scent was the scent used for Trimble. Trimble did alert to Lacey's scent on the boat ramp of the Berkeley Marina. The jury was only presented the information about Trimble finding her scent on the marina. But no mention of the gloves and that it could have been either scent. And secondly, Trimble, like, before he went, like, on his testimonial hunt, he was never actually given really, like, the the proper like dog trainer like thing. And I guess it's, you have to do like a double blind test. And this is to just, just make sure that the dog actually knows what scent you're going for. So if you're going for the victim's scent in particular, you have to do like a blind test, meaning that you got to test the dog before you have them go in and actually look for a scent. And this was never performed on Trimble. Um, so, and it was noted too, that no training exercises were actually ever documented on Trimble. So while we appreciate all of our puppets, really great hard work, you know, puppets is from crime junkies. Um, but like, while we appreciate all of Trimble's very hard work, uh, it's very hard to see that this dear old dog was actually giving like correct information. There was a lot of holes in Trimble's story as far as, like, how reliable he was. So they, you know, obviously the appeal states a lot of digs at Trimble and the dog trainers. And, you know, remember, too, none of it was ever presented from the prosecution that anything was ever a problem. Ding number six. <laughs> um, ding number six I kind of threw in there because as I was reading all of this stuff about what was going on about the appeal, and obviously it's new defense that's working with Scott Peterson, but the whole time, even the defense during his trial had the wrong timeline, it looks like. I don't know what he did or didn't do in order for – People did not get him out of this 10 minutes. I don't know if defense thought, well, this is our best chance. Like, we'll go for this. But defense's only theory that was that Scott left for the marina at 10.08 a.m. And all parties agree on that. Um, and then they just allowed the testimony of Karen. And giving them only the 10-minute time frame. It was just kind of weird. And... I like wondered while when I was doing like my research, like this whole time, like what was the defense doing? Did they not know? Did he not know? Like, you know, then it makes me go back and thinking, well, he's got to be guilty then, you know, like he didn't, he couldn't debunk it then. And now he's at all this time to think, you know, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sitting, I've never been sitting in that chair. So I don't know what, 
stuff I can say, can't say, you know, what was, I don't know, maybe people just weren't listening to him. For me, it just sounded like the whole time that his defense team was completely against him, which was crazy to think, but it hasn't, it's not the first time it hasn't happened. So I don't, you know, it's just a little, little theory I had to throw in there of just like, I don't really know what was going on with all of that. You know, especially when they had all the testimonies. I just don't know how much work everybody did. And like I said, I don't want to diminish anything, you know. But at the same time, it's just kind of weird that they had all these counter testimonies and the jury didn't hear it. Like, why? I don't understand. So, this leads me to my last ding 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 which is ding number seven and again i will support this theory on my own even though i've read it on some internet stuff you know but i haven't met these people so i don't know how legit this is but ding number seven for me would be a serial killer <laughs> Now, don't everybody laugh all at once at me. I'm really glad I can't hear all of you, if you are. But listen to me. Bear with me. If you've bared with me this far, um, I have my reasons why, okay? So this theory is actually circled around for a while now, you know, and I've thought about it, you know, a few times. And Again, like, you don't want something like this to be true. You don't want to have some ser crazy serial killer on the loose. But also, too, you also don't want to have a man who possibly could be innocent on death row because some person decided to do this and we're all just kind of head-hunching over this one guy that we think did. I am not arguing that Scott Peterson has a lot against him, you know, but at the same time, there are a lot of really good points in this story where you're just like, wait a second, that can't really, really cooperate. It doesn't make sense. If anything, we do know that Lacey was alive after 10, 18 a.m. And so, and again, like I said, this isn't the first time we've heard of innocent people being on Stephen Avery. Again, if you haven't watched that documentary on Netflix, I highly suggest it, Making a Murderer. Again, it points to somebody's pretty true innocence. So, I don't know. Again, anyways. So, what I've read that has really made me think was that okay so there was a couple of documentaries that came out and one of them actually had an interview with another woman and she was around nine months pregnant at the time in December of 2002 and this woman worked not far from the Peterson home and the day before Lacey went missing, this woman was working in her shop. And she noticed that a car was parked, like, across the street. And at first, she didn't really think of anything, but she noticed that these guys were sitting in the vehicle, two men. They were wearing all black, and they were kind of staring at her. And they kept staring at her for, for a while. 
And so eventually she noticed them getting out of the car and walking towards her store. And that's when she decided to call her husband. And she kind of was sitting there going, oh, my God, please pick up, please pick up. And, you know, sure enough, her husband did. And she kind of just started talking loudly to her husband and letting him know, like, yada, yada, yada. And the two men actually kind of overheard her, I think, and got scared and ended up turning around and getting back in their car. And they left. And this woman, like, was like, you know, she heard about Lacey's story the next day. So this obviously freaked her out. She was in the same area. She was the same sort of kind of like pregnant woman like Lacey. It was kind of a trip. So that's one story, but there's even like another story that I found. And this was about a woman named Evelyn. Now this lady had gone missing actually before Lacey. And this was on May 1st of 2002. And her remains were found floating under the Bay Bridge. She was nine months pregnant at the time. She was a newlywed and she was mother to a five-year-old son. Her killer to this day has never been found. So obviously, you know, that I was like, there's linking pregnant women in this area. What if there's some sort of like pregnant woman serial killer guy on the loose? And then I even found a site that actually listed 10 more missing women in the Modesto area. And all of like a couple of these were pregnant. So it's just kind of crazy that around the time that Lacey Peterson went missing, other pregnant women had gone missing around the same area, around the same sort of time, around the same sort of like growth. So I'm just going to list a couple. So around that time, um, it looks like Angelina, eight months pregnant, disappeared around the Sacramento area. Consuelo, eight months pregnant, went missing in the Tulare area, which is near Fresno, which is still considered Northern California. Um, Tony in Modesto doesn't list how pregnant she was, just that she was and that she went missing. And that there were like, I think, two more other women that went missing, but they were in the Modesto area and it didn't list whether they were pregnant or not. But it just seems a little fishy to me that all these pregnant women go missing around this time, including other women, and nobody's putting any of this together. So, again, like I said, I don't know if Scott Peterson is innocent or guilty. These are just some facts that I've come across that has really made me think, like, the heck you know and I know that if I were any sort of inkling of innocence on murder or death row I'd want people looking at my story twice so I hope you enjoyed this episode of Tuesdays with Trisha I've been neglecting my basic bitches and just know I'll be sticking around a lot more and bugging you even more. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Tuesdays with Trisha. Till next time. See you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha.
Don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. And don't forget to wash your hands, stay safe, and don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. Oh, thank you.